Hello and welcome to Quilt Achieviot's Markets Uncut podcast, your weekly insight into the topics and trends that we've been exploring for you here at Quilt Achieviot. Remember, so you don't miss future episodes, be sure to hit the follow button on whichever streaming platform you're listening on or by following hashtag QC Weekly Comment on LinkedIn. I'm James Hughes, an investment manager based out of our London office, and this week I'm pleased to be joined by Richard Carter, our head of fixed interest research, and Will Howlett, our financials analyst. Morning to you both. Richard, um, perhaps I can start with you. Um, Last week looked a bit quieter on the macro farm, but perhaps you can kick us off and provide a roundup of the key events. Yeah, that's right, James. It it has been a little bit quieter. We're in this sort of lull period in between central bank meetings and, and there hasn't been anything really to sort of change the needle I, I, to change the dial I mean I, I guess the main thing last week was um, <clears throat> the US sort of uh, potential US government shutdown that people you know perennially have to worry about and uh, uh, last week was no different but uh, surprise surprise you know at the last minute they managed to um, come up with a deal to avoid uh, shutting down although it is quite a short-term deal so potentially uh, in six weeks' time, we'll be we'll be doing exactly the same thing. But um, important to remember, this is this is different to the to the debt ceiling, which you know could potentially mm. lead to uh, you know default on U.S. Treasuries. This, this would have been a um, basically led to a lot of uh, U.S. government workers being furloughed uh, temporarily, and also sort of no release of uh, economic data, things like that. So um, yeah, fortunately that's been avoided. But um, as I say, it's, it's very much a short term. Uh, deal. Um, I mean, otherwise, I guess the main things going on, you know, rising US bond yields, um, certainly not good for bond markets, but also certainly not very helpful for for sort of um, US equities either. And basically what's going on is inflation is becoming steadily a bit more benign, but certainly the um, US growth data has been pretty resilient and there's no sign of this sort of long discussed recession arriving you know so um that, that's all led to a sort of expectation the fed will be keeping rates higher for longer um and also the u.s government's borrowing quite a lot of money as well which keeps the uh you know issuance levels for bond markets uh, quite high so yeah been a been a difficult quarter uh for bond markets but as i said still think that um central banks are pretty much uh, close to the peak in rates okay that, thanks for that because on the other side sort of since the end of July, we've seen actually UK gilt yields doing the opposite and they've been falling quite steadily. And at the same time, sterling has also been weakening, um, in particular against the dollar. So um, could you run through sort of how gilt yields and sterling interact and why there's been um, the change in direction recently? Yeah, so UK gilt markets have outperformed US treasuries. I mean, there's a couple of things going on, uh, a couple of things going on here. I mean, firstly, I'd say that... Um, you know, at the margin, the US economy looks a bit more resilient and in better health than the the UK, although actually some of the recent UK uh, GDP numbers have been revised up a little bit. Um, But the main thing is is inflation. So, you know, UK was seen as a bit of a a laggard of inflation. It was still too high, taking a while to come down. Uh, But now actually it does seem to be heading in the right direction. And, and, um, you know, investors' expectations for the Bank of England have changed. So we've gone from sort of thinking rates could get as high as six six percent to actually well last meeting they decided not to raise rates at all and and when you get that sort of dynamic um it's quite good for for government bonds particularly at the sort of shorter end which are very rate sensitive also not so good for the currency 
Um, lots of different things drive currency, obviously, but uh, interest rate differentials versus other markets. And, you know, I'm thinking about here, UK versus US, you know, when when you get this sort of fall in rate expectations in one country versus another, normally that's not so good um, for the currency. So that's why you've seen this sort of, you know, lower gilt yields, weaker sterling kind of dynamic. Sure. Um, dollar's also been strengthening against other Currencies. I mean, the danger is, of course, if sterling, you know, we import a lot of goods, you know, food and, and energy. And if, if, if sterling keeps weakening, um, potentially that could be quite inflationary. And then the Bank of England may have to go from you know, being on hold to raising rates. But uh, as I say, for now, um, you know, that uh, more benign inflation backdrop has, has, has uh, not been great for sterling. Sure. OK. Um, well, Will, perhaps it's a good time to bring you into the conversation because obviously banks are very sensitive to you know these these types of changes so can you explain sort of how this has been impacting the banks and and, and how it might impact the banks going forward yeah um higher interest rates generally thought of as good for banks but as always when it comes to banks it's, it's complicated and mm. clearly the uk domestic banks not really been playing to that simple rule of thumb year to date. So shares have been a bit sluggish across the UK domestic banks. So if we think about net interest margins, um, banks have been enjoying much better spreads on their deposits. So they haven't passed on the full benefit of rate hikes to depositors. And so that's just a complete contrast to the zero interest rate environment as well post the financial crisis. Um, so they're enjoying much better spreads at the moment. But Banks have been under pressure from regulators, politicians, the media to to start offering you know better rates to de uh, to depositors. So uh, you know that tailwind it does feel like it is coming to an end, and um, customers are also you know changing behaviour as you would expect them to. So they're terming out deposits to get better rates by locking up their money for a year or so yeah. um, relative to having things in instant access for example or they're looking at their current account and you know reducing any uh, excess money they might have there and putting it in savings so those add up to a bit of a you know drag going forward and then on the asset side of the bank's balance sheets mortgage margins have been under pressure so there's been a big supply demand imbalance in terms of you know there's just fewer or you know less activity in terms of house purchases and banks still competing on mortgages so they're seeing lower margins um and those two really have netted out as a bit of a negative this year with the earnings revisions coming down for the domestic banks as as they've they've talked down net interest margins I would still think, you know, higher interest rate environments. Um, so in the next rate cycle, when we get there, you know, there's plenty of room now to cut interest rates without hitting the zero bound again. So I'd still yeah. see this as a, a better environment for the banks relative to the zero rate environment. Um, I think, you know, the Bank of England pausing on rates, as Richard mentioned, you know, I think it does reduce some of the tail risks as well around the housing market and the UK economy. So, you know, there are there are some positives there, too. I think the big one for me is that um, profitability is a lot stronger for the UK banks and it's also cleaner. So we don't have all the you know one offs in terms of litigation or restructuring that you saw post the financial crisis. Um, so it means their profitability is cleaner so they can return more capital to shareholders. So, you know, buybacks continue and, and you know, decent dividends as well. So 
Uh, met with NatWest, for example, last week, and you know they talk about reducing their share count by 26% over the last two and a half right. years. So, you know that should boost their um, you know per share metrics going forward as well. So, um, yeah, those are the, some of the themes that have been happening for the UK banks. Okay, brilliant. It probably segues nicely into my next question as well, which is as well as covering the banks, you also look at the wider financial sector, um, and actually. You know, for some time you've been positive on the alternative asset managers. Um, can you explain or sort of run through why you remain positive um, and why you feel that they can continue providing strong returns to shareholders? Yeah, I like the alternative asset managers as they typically generate better investment performance for their clients. They enjoy uh, they, they they earn fees, you know, pretty attractive fees from locked up funds, which means. Um, they don't have the risk of redemptions when we see market sell-offs that you might expect at traditional asset managers. Sure. The fees are also based on investments or commitments, so they're not oh. marked market like traditional asset managers. So you've just got much better visibility in terms of the fee earnings that they can generate. The shares in this space, um, you know, the, the managers here, so the likes of Intermediate Capital, for example, partners in Switzerland, they've they've been performing better this year after a tough last year. I think a number of them are talking about some green shoots of activity. So I think the expectations that interest rates have peaked or are close to peaking, I think that does help to move buyers and sellers' expectations together. So there's just more deal activity. So, um, you know, Private equity managers want to be doing deals and selling their last asset, buying their you know their next portfolio company. So it's just a better environment where there's more deal flow. Private equity certainly has seen a slowdown in fundraising, but um, private debt has been more resilient. So private debt strategies typically floating rate lending, so they're offering higher returns with higher interest rates, and private debt is higher up the capital stack as well versus private equity. So lower risk, which I think institutions like at the moment, just given uncertainties on the economic outlook. So that has clearly been um, a strategy which has been in a lot of focus recently. So it's been featured in the you know, the FT, lots of uh, articles yeah. about private debt at the moment. So um, that has certainly remained resilient. Thank you. That's, that's great. Thank you. Um, I think, unfortunately, that's all that we've got time for today. So I'd just like to thank you both for those great insights and to all of you for listening so to our listeners if you enjoyed our discussion today please review the show from wherever you're listening and share it on your socials and tag us at quilt achieve it to make sure you don't miss a future episode uh, please tap the subscribe button and um, we will be back next tuesday in the meantime head over to our website www.quiltachieveit.com uh, where you can read the accompanying markets overview as well as subscribe to our weekly comments newsletter. You can also stay up to date with our thoughts on market news, industry insights, and our upcoming events and webinars on our website or our social media pages. Uh, finally, do you have any questions you'd like to ask one of our experts for our next podcast? Um, if you do, please simply ask them via the weekly comments page on our website. We love to hear questions. And that's it for today. So thank you to Richard and Will for your time. Um, and to all of you for listening. We will see you next time. Thank you.